following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. prayer. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 is, is where we're at, and we're going to look at verse 6 all the way through 15. If you didn't find Colossians, it's in the right-hand side of your Bible. Um, one of the things that we're, we're seeing kind of transpire in our world today is uh, this roller coaster of emotions. There are people who um, are, are riding one emotional mountaintop experience to the next. And we would look at that and we would say, oh, yeah, that's secular society. And I would say it's more prevalent in the church. I think there's more and more people who, who become so emotionally invested in something that their logic just flies out the window. Now, emotions are good. And don't get me wrong. God gave them to us for a reason. But when emotion takes over, logic really does cease. And God's not a God where our logic should fly out the window because if he created our emotions, he, he also created our minds. And so those two things are supposed to work hand in hand with one another. And so when we walk with God in the book of Colossians, Paul is essentially going to continue to address what it means to be in Christ. If you have confessed your sin and believed upon the name of Jesus Christ, you are saved. The Bible declares that truth. This is the gospel that Christ came, he died, he rose again. And when you confess your sins and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved, you walk with the Lord daily. The gospel is just as much for eternity as it is for today. But there's, there's, there's like a drug that's happening in our society. We get people who are like chasing these spiritual highs and then they get really depressed in the seasons of spiritual lows. So they're like really happy one minute and then they're completely sad the next minute. And we would ask, where's your consistency? Is there consistency? Is there such a, a solution to a feeling-centered faith? And yeah, there is. It's called being Christ-centered. If you keep Christ at the center of your life and you work on slow, steady, consistent growth, then it doesn't matter what happens and transpires in your world. You'll find yourself pleading to the Lord. This happened to me two days ago as I tried to fix something in our shower. And I broke the shower. I found myself with water spewing everywhere. You laugh, but you know it's true. Uh, I found myself with water spewing everywhere, sitting in the middle of our bathroom, praying, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. <laughs> and then the Holy Spirit said, you should never try to fix anything ever in this life in regards to physical things. <laughs> and so... In dependency, I reached out to the Lord, and then it went from the Lord to his people, and there were so many guys who said, we'll help. And when we walk together with the Lord and in relationship with other believers, we realize that we become, as verse 7 says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. When we're Christ-centered in this daily walk with the Lord, we grow into maturity. Maturity in relationship with God does not happen like that. It happens slow. 
is God says, I want to walk with you like a father to a son or like a father to a daughter, a godly father, regardless of what you feel. And so let's look at this. Go to the next slide, Trevor. It's how to walk in Christ. Let's look at verse uh, 6 in Colossians chapter 2. I love this book. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. <clears throat> therefore, whoop, hold on a second. What's that therefore? Uh, let's go to verse 4. Remember last week, and if you missed that, communitygospelchurch.com uh, in the messages section, you'll, you'll pick this up. He says, I say this in order, verse 4, chapter 2, big numbers are the verses, or chapters, smaller numbers are the verses. I say this in order that no one may delude you. There's some people coming into the church of Colossae, and they're trying to get the believers to go off track. As a matter of fact, there's two things happening. Either people are going either too legalistic with their faith, and they're having all these rules and stuff like that, or they're going the opposite, and they're like, hey, we have freedom in Christ. We can do whatever we want. And that's a problem. We need consistency and balance. For though I am absent in the body, remember Paul is in chains here. And remember that he is writing to this church because he is in chains for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He desperately wants to be with them, but since he can't, he is praying that they would rejoice in having good order in their prayer life, in their study of God's word, in their fellowship with one another, so that their faith would be firm in Jesus. Verse 6, therefore, <laughs> as you receive Jesus Christ, the Lord, so, what does it say? Walk in him. He doesn't say you walk in anybody else. He doesn't say you walk in Paul's ways. He doesn't say you walk in, in Pastor Jordan's ways. He says you walk in him. And when you walk in him, you will be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. And then your life will be filled with thanksgiving. So what Paul says, first and foremost, in walking with Christ is he says you have to advance. And so many people in regards to coming to Jesus, what has happened, go to the next slide. What has happened is they have uh, said they accepted a gift, but they've done nothing with the gift. And if you say that you accepted a gift and you didn't do anything with the gift, then I would ask if you ever really truly received the gift. And so Paul is telling these Colossian believers then and us today that just as you have received Christ... You will be safe from being led astray. You will be safe from abandoning the faith if you continue to advance in the faith. Well, that causes us to ask, well, how is that possible? What does that look like? What does it look like to advance in the faith? Well, let's go to the next one. It says in verse 6, the second part, you walk in Christ. To advance in the faith is to walk in Christ. It's repeatedly commanded, and it's not supposed to be complicated. Too many people are making this complex, right? We get really detailed in this. He means that believers in Christ as Savior stay in line with God's commands. Now, I know so many of you who are here love football. I don't. Like, I, I don't... Two years ago, I made the, the decision after a massive prayer and fasting to leave professional football. And I know you love it. I haven't left hockey yet, so there's hope for me yet. And uh, one of the reasons that football just drives me nuts is it got really slow. People are like, oh, it's so awesome. I'm like, it's slow, right? And I know I'm gonna, you're going to be mad at me for this, but whatever. But I also think it's boring. And all the ladies said... 
And then some ladies are like, whatever. Um, <laughs> but I was, I was, I was watching a, a group of guys watching a football game the other day. And I started to wonder what that game would look like if you changed the rules or took out some rules. Like, what if we got rid of the sidelines, right, or the hashtags? What if we eliminated some of those rules? Instead of playing with a football, let's play with a baseball. Like, what would that look like? (laughs) And then I realized that there are reasons for the rules regardless of the sport that you follow. There's reasons for the rules if you sow. There's reasons for the rules if you uh, do anything because boundaries are good because it allows us to know what we can and cannot do and how something can go from good to great. And so believers who aren't walking in lines with God's will based off his word would be open to deception and attacks. Paul commands the saints at Ephesus to do the same thing. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. He specifically says, go to the next slide, be imitators of God. Now remember, verse goes to chapter, chapter goes to book, book goes to genre, genre goes to testament, testament goes to the whole Bible. So you have to keep in mind what Paul has already said in regards to the boundaries that God has. I want you to pray without ceasing. I want you to spend time with believers in church and in small groups and things like that. I want you to make sure that you are studying your word and applying that truth. It's the imitators of God as you have seen modeled in Christ. If you were to just read through the four gospel accounts and start modeling what Jesus did off your life, you would be in great form. I want you to walk in love. As Christ loved you, he gave himself up for us as an offering and as a sacrifice to God. That would be a fragrant aroma. That would be something that is sweet smelling to God. If you would stay in lines. So what are the lines? Well, first of all, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, your first thing is to get in line. And that is to accept Christ as Savior. There's a little white book in front of you. You can open that up and you'll see the gospel uh, displayed so clearly. Confess your sin and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then after that, we daily refocus. We spend time evangelizing. We spend time morning, afternoon, and evening in prayer. We spend time in fellowship with one another. We spend time in our word, not because we have to, but because we want to. And because we have to as well. This is imitation of Christ in his time on earth. Let me just be frank with you. If it is not Jesus you're imitating, and the Holy Spirit who is empowering, and God the Father who is anointing you, then you are not in bounds. So you walk in Christ as Christ. But then look what Paul says in verse 7. It's really kind of interesting. He says, it's, 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 it's the same sentence. He doesn't stop. The pastor always stops and he realizes that he has to expound on some things. And he has to explain some things, which is good. We need explanation. But notice the sentence is the same sentence. When you walk in him, here comes the effects of your maturity. You become rooted. You become built up. You become established. All of those are action verbs. Rooted is passive meaning. It means that God has already done to you as a believer an act of his sovereign grace at salvation. He has already planted the seed. And when you trusted in Christ, he started the process. So now, if he started the process, you continue to walk in him, letting those roots grow deep. 
And then you become built up. This is your character. And then you become established. This is steadfast or have the ability to be solid against attacks. This is the outcome of walking daily with Christ. First part of the sentence is walk with Christ based off of the previous verses in chapter 5. Then, because of your walk with Christ, you have the ability to be rooted and built up and established in Him. Explain. Okay. How many of you like to garden? (laughs) So, I read this story the other day. I thought it was fascinating. There was this guy who lived in a house for 15 years. He had a pear tree in his garden. Not once did any pears come out of his garden. <clears throat> so he sold the house. <laughs> I don't know if it's because of the pear tree or not, but he sold it. He, wasn't a, he said he wasn't a gardener when he sold the house. He looked at the person and he says, I don't know what's going on with this pear tree, but it's all yours. And so in the first year, what the guy did who bought the house was he just watched. In the second year, he realized something was a problem. And instead of going to the top of the tree, he goes to the roots. And as he goes to the roots to fix the problem, he takes action. He is not complacent or passive with the tree anymore. It's time to get active. Which is what the man who lived before him was too ignorant to do. Now, a dormant faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, is one where that individual fails to take action or take care of the roots. If you are not growing in the faith, if you are not seeing this world leave, if you are not spending quality time seeing God really manifest himself in your life, it's probably not God's fault. It's your fault. If you're not growing in the faith, it's not the soil's problem, it's a root issue. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, grow up. (laughs) We use this with our kids all the time. (laughs) Grow up into what? Salvation. Grow up into what you have received. Utilize that gift that you have been given. This is what it means to work out our salvation. This is what it means to have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Notice in the second part of verse 7, Paul says, Just as you were taught or instructed. This is fascinating to me. This goes off of last week, but we repeat it again. Gaining instruction and implementing information always comes from the word of God. It always comes from the Bible that has been entrusted to our care in formal, large gatherings like we're here today and smaller fellowship gatherings like we have in the week. It's for time together, but it's also for time alone. And we look to Jesus who modeled this well. I talked to a person the other day. They said, Jesus never went to church. I said, you need to read your Gospels again. Because Jesus went to the synagogue all the time. And in the synagogue, they would open up the word of God and expound on scripture constantly. They would go chapter by chapter, verse by verse of what the text says. And they would talk about how this works in our everyday life. And Jesus himself even opens up scripture in a formal setting and says at the core that this is important. And then he further takes that teaching and he puts it in smaller teaching with his disciples when they're alone. So there's formal and informal teaching because we need to be taught. This is why you're here. So go to verse 8. The result of walking in faith and being rooted up and built up and established is an abounding of thanksgiving. We need to tell 
believers that it's a good thing to be in the family of God, right? It's a good thing to be saved by grace. It is a good thing that God is working on your life and he's taking out the worldly things that you love. How many times have you had a conversation with God and you're like, if you take away one more thing, I'm not going to be happy. He's like, oh, but you'll be holy. If you ever find yourself feeling unthankful, and brothers and sisters, I say this in as much love as I possibly can, then your spiritual life is off. And if your spiritual life is off, your real life is off. It needs adjusted. Thankfulness, Paul says, is a mark of Christian maturity. To not be thankful is to not be spiritually healthy. The times when I am not thankful are the times where I need to step out. I need to get alone with God. I need to spend time with Him. I need to clear the to-do list. I need to make sure that I get back into what it means to be saved by the grace of God. When believers find themselves thankful, they know that progress is being made. Thank you, Lord, that you took away that from my life. Thank you, Lord, that you've done these things. Thank you, Lord, that you've put this in my life. Regardless of the season of life, it doesn't matter. No highs, no lows, just slow, steady, consistent growth, being thankful for what God has done. Now, when that happens in your life, there's going to be some pushback. Go to verse 8. And Paul knew this. He's he's good at it, right? Like every time he, he advances in the gospel, it seems like somebody's there to put pain in his life. So as, as this happens, right, as you're abounding in thanksgiving and people kind of are going to get jealous about this because you got the joy, 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 joy down in your heart. Okay, see to it that no one takes you captive. What? No one takes you captive by philosophies or empty deceits according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Verse 9. For in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head and the ruler and the authority of all things. 11, in him, in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. What's he talking about? Well, as this thing comes, you have to resist it, which is heresy, which is the pushback against biblical truth. Now notice, Paul encourages the believers. You advance in your faith, and then he speaks about a few heresies. If you would, um, let's look at two things in chapter 8. You have philosophies and empty deceits. We're going to talk a couple things that are coming in regards to heresies against the church in a, a later message. But let's look at two that are prevalent in Paul's day. And they're still prevalent in our day. You have this thing called Epicureanism and Stoicism. Epicureanism had a guy, his name was Epicurean, obviously. And essentially what these people taught, hang with me for a second, was that people could obtain absolute peace and a complete absence of mental, emotional, and physical distress if they would just relax. Chill out. They taught that you can be happy... If you would just enjoy life, stop worrying so much. 
It's like the first New Testament hippies before hippies are a thing. (laughs) To Epicurus, their founder, the Greek gods existed, but they lived so far away from man. They didn't want to interfere with man. They didn't care about man. As a matter of fact, the gods weren't even aware of what you were doing. Why are you so worried? Chill out, right? These guys probably own CBD shops. So that's one side of the pendulum. Then the next side of the pendulum is the stoicism, right? Stoicism comes up a lot. It's the exact opposite of this Epicureanism. Stoics believe that people aren't controlled by their emotions or the outside actions of the world. They said there's no God, but it's more a force that controls this universe. And if you would just uh, really focus on yourself, then you can obtain this absolute peace. Everything comes from you. Stoics were so close to the truth. As a matter of fact, there's a push in our day right now for this thing called modern Stoicism. They're, they're so prevalent today. There's many modern Stoics who are digging up this old Stoic truth. Truth. Parentheticals. They're so close sometimes to biblical truth, but they're so far away. It looks good on the surface, but underneath of it is just straight heresy. And both of these, so you have one side of this pendulum, you have another side of this pendulum, and both of these, man is being led astray, and because if he is left on his own, he will choose sin and himself every single time. Where do we see that at? The garden, right? We will always choose ourselves over God. It's our sinful nature. And so you got to have something outside of yourself in order to be saved. Now, Both of these philosophies or empty deceits were passed down. Look at verse 8, second part, as well as verse 9. Via human traditions. They didn't come from God. They weren't in scripture. They were according, and if you could underline this, the elementary spirits of the world. This is really fascinating. That word elementary spirits of the world means things that are in a row. It's kind of like little kids with their ABCs. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? They line up in a row. But what they're talking about here is how the stars and the planets lined up in a row. Astrology is huge in the ancient world, and it's dominated so many of the leaders back then. Julius Caesar and Augustus uh, wouldn't sometimes take a step without consulting the stars. And men were said to be slaves of the stars until they trusted in Gnosticism or these philosophies. They said this, and this is exactly what our world says today. Listen to this. This this is the movement happening in our world today. Jesus is good. And yeah, Jesus can do much for you, but he cannot enable you to escape from your subjection to the stars, to this world. We alone have the secret knowledge, these guys would say, which we can enable you to do these things. It's like they're on a late night infomercial trying to sell you some product, right? This will, this will clean all the dishes in two seconds. Everybody knows dishes take a long time. Paul says in the second part of verse 8 and the first part of verse 9, this is ridiculous. It's so stupid what you fall for. He tells the Colossians, you don't need anything but Christ to overcome any power in this universe. For in Christ... What we find is that he is nothing less than the fulfillment and fullness of God. He is the head over every power and authority. He created them. Read Genesis chapter 1. He's like, are we so foolish to fall away from the living God and trusting in these philosophies and empty deceits? 
Well, go to verse 10. This is really interesting. Because believers are in Christ and have been filled in him. Underline that. That means fullness. You partake in his divine nature in salvation and sanctification. It means when you pray in Jesus' name, you know what that means? You believe that everything that was given to Jesus is also given to you. Everything that God has bestowed upon his son, he will bestow to you. That's what it means to be accepted in the beloved. Believers who are in Christ, that's the key word there, in Christ, have been filled in him. You partake in the divine nature of salvation, that's justification of your sins, and sanctification, that's coming to Christ. If it was just, sanct- if it was just justification, when you got saved, God would take you to heaven. But you're still here. Why am I still here? To conform to the image of Christ. And what does that look like to conform to the image of Christ? That's a great question. Three practical applications. Ready for this? Church, I plead with you. I plead with you. To make Christ the authority in your life. The ultimate authority. He gets the final say. I just prayed it in the prayer. I said, I'm going to read it to you again. That the word of God would be the authority and the foundation of your home. That the son of God would be the preeminent person in your home. That the spirit of God would be the guide in your home. And the will of God would be your primary concern and purpose. That means that Christ is the ultimate authority and you have to claim him every single day. Tomorrow when you get up, you say, Jesus, you're the ultimate authority in my life. What you say goes. And he will wreck your to-do list and it will be awesome. Number two. When you make Christ your ultimate authority, your freedom will be found there. That's the boundaries. That's, that's letting God put the boundaries in your life. You play better in this world when you know the boundaries. I promise. You, you will function better the more disciplined you are. You will be more fruitful the more you let God guide you. Your freedom has to be in Christ. Now, what the world will say is just constantly saturate and submit yourself to everything that you possibly can. Ride the emotions of being high and low. Just let it, let it come as it goes. And if Paul were here, he'd say, how's that working out for you? Because really, that makes you a slave to sin more than making you free. You'll find yourself more frustrated. The Gentile believers were constantly being told to conform to these Jewish or non-Jewish rules. And so it's like circumcision here in this passage. And in Christ, they had been circumcised of the heart and they found their freedom there to worship. So here, here's where this gets really interesting. When you commit to the constant elimination of sin that hinder and hold you back because of the salvation that you have received, you will find fruit and fulfillment in Christ who is your freedom. And if you miss that, Tomorrow, the sermon will be posted. Just play it back. Here's what it really boils down to. You have to believe that you're free. So many of us in the church today are not functioning as fruitful believers because we still feel like we are bound by sin. We don't believe that second line. If Christ has set you free, then be free indeed. I put a picture up uh, the other day on Facebook of a horse chained to a chair. And the chair was like one of those plastic chairs, right? And the horse is just standing there because he's tied to the plastic chair. That horse is huge. All he's got to do is move, and that chair moves with him. But he looks at the chair, and he thinks to himself, man, I'm stuck, 
right? This happened the other day. We were at a, a different church's parking lot playing hockey with my kids, which you should. And another family comes walking down the, the sidewalk with a dog, and I had my dog there. And so what I did is I, I, I rolled up to him, and I put my hockey stick up in front of his face, and he jumped upon the golf cart. And as he's jumping up on, the go- on top of our golf cart, he's looking at it. By the way, if you don't have a golf cart in Bremen, you're not from Bremen. Because some of you are like, why does he have a golf cart? Come to my town. Um, there's some people who listen online are like, what? Yeah, it's a, tr- it's a real thing. Um, and he stays on the seat of the golf cart. And after the dog had passed, I tried to get him off the cart. And you know what? He was like, I'm stuck. And I think to myself, am I the horse or the dog or both? Because there's so many times where the world says, this is who you are. But God looks at us and he says, I don't think you read my word and realized who I say you are. You are you're free in Christ. This world is to be experienced with the boundaries that I put on you. And you will find fulfillment there. Now look at the third thing. The way to do that is stop looking in the rear view mirror. You have to focus on future self. When believers are buried with Christ in the baptism by the Holy Spirit, and what that means is when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, He gives us His Spirit. It's an exchange. Okay? No, no longer your old self. I'm going to give you a new spirit. That doesn't mean that you get to speak in tongues or all this crazy stuff. That means your spirit's gone. Your sinful spirit's dead. New spirits come. Here we go. Rev- revelation is going to happen. Okay? And it's symbolized through the water baptism. And what that means is we never look back. I have made so many mistakes in the past 12 years here at Community Gospel Church. And so many times it creeps up. It's like, hey, remember what you did in 2000? And I'm like, oh man, here we go again. There are people in my neighborhood who I have made mistakes with. Who I, who I have inadvertently led astray and I've asked for their forgiveness. But there's so many times I look at them and I think to myself, Lord, I failed. And he said, why are you looking in the rearview mirror? We're over that. We got through that. Sometimes God looks at us and he says, you got these relationships who are in the rear view and you need to drop those friends. They're not producing fruit. Some of us are being called to full-time missions and, and we're sitting there going like, I got this job. I don't think you know, Lord, but I pay the bills. He's like, I pay the bills. I've always paid the bills. And so when you drive home today, my whole goal for you is, yes, when you're driving your car, you need to look in the rear view. But in your relationship with Christ, you rip the rear view off and you throw it out the window. And I am no longer who the devil says I am. I am who God says I am. He has given me power in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, to live a new life. Now, All of that to say, Paul says, you never forget this one great truth. Look at verse 13. He ends this with this this huge declaration. I love this. He says, I'm I'm serious. He's He's like a dad who's just like pleading with his kids. You are dead in your trespasses. Dead, deader than dead. You are dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh. And then God made you alive. Like, you should underline that like 10 times. You are together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailed it to the cross. Thank God that he forgives my sin and shortcoming. And he gives me a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. 
And not only that, watch this. We think in our second and third chances that we're powerless. That's not true. In verse 15, he says, He, Jesus, disarmed rulers and authorities and put them open to shame by triumphing over them in him. What's the great truth? Before somebody's released to a new life in Christ, they are dead in their trespasses. Oh, but when we come to know Christ, when we are redeemed by the blood of the lamb, we have to remember constantly that Christ canceled your debt. Write that on your bathroom mirror a thousand times. You wake up in the morning, you say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Everything you say goes, God, I know that you canceled my debts. When God forgave us of our sins, He forgave us of all of our sins. Every single one of them. There's so many of us in this room, myself included, we get hung up in this and we're like, not that one, right? I don't think you know about that one. If if God can save the apostle Paul, he can save you. The Old Testament law tells us that humanity stands condemned, but in Christ, the law is fulfilled. Christ fulfilled the law's demands. Never once, not once, do we ever forget this as our saving grace. The Old Testament law is like a handwritten certificate of death. It's like a bill of indebtedness. And people are unable to pay that debt. They're criminals. But Jesus takes away this criminal charge by his death. He wipes the slate clean and he does it constantly. Look at verse 14. As a believer, you are delivered from the evil powers which demand rules to stand in God's grace. Christ has triumphed over the philosophies and the empty deceits. It is a picture of a Roman general who returns home from war, parading his defeated captives through the streets of Rome. It conveys the idea of completeness of victory that was accomplished by Christ. We were once slaves forced to work, but in Christ we live lives of grateful worship. It's a powerful thing. I'm going to leave you with one truth. And it's this. I read this the other day. I I thought, that's my sermon in a sentence. It's so good. I don't know about you and why you came to know the Lord, but I I did not trust Jesus to go to heaven. Before you gasp about that, I didn't. I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior because I needed help now. Heaven's great, but I've never seen it. And God didn't give me like a snapshot and put a picture in in, in my hand and and say, hey, this is what it looks like. I I know he's got like pictures of it in the word, but I I just can't see it sometimes. So I needed needed salvation now. I need something that's going to work now. And I read this the other day. I thought this is is a sermon in a sense. The man or woman who loves walking will walk further than the man or woman who loves the destination. I'm, I'm glad I'm going to heaven. Like that's Praise the Lord. I'm excited about that. But as believers, we have to fall in love with the walk. And I'm learning to fall in love with the walk. And I pray that you do too. Let me pray for you. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.